welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and I'm so glad to be here with you today. Today's podcast episode, it's titled Threats to Biblical Friendship. It's from a message I gave last year at the Open Hearts in a Closed World Conference. And you can still listen into all those messages from last year's conference. It's there over on their YouTube channel. But the theme was spiritual sisterhood going beyond the facade. So if you're not familiar with it, Open Hearts in a Closed World is a free fully online conference. This year's conference, though, for 2023 is going to be focusing on both women and teen girls. I really love this. So it's going to be for a broader age category for you to share with women and teen girls in your area of influence, your church, and the topic is growing in godliness in a godless generation. It will, again, as always, be fully free, fully online. It's going to be live streamed the mornings, the week of July 10th through 14th, and it's always available to watch after the sessions go live. So speakers this year are Susan Heck, Martha Peace, Aaron Coates, Kimberly Cummings, Brooke Bartz, Michelle Leslie, Penny Amick, and Arlene's Buckaloo. So all that's going to be in the show notes, so don't feel you have to get that all down. But I really, I hope to see you there because I really try hard to be online during the sessions so we can interact together either on YouTube or in the Facebook group in the comments. If you sign up to get my free bi-monthly newsletter, it's filled with all kinds of really, really helpful and encouraging resources. And you also get access to a free library of printables. So if you're a listener here or a blog reader, or you follow me on social media, I so encourage you to be a newsletter subscriber because that's how you can keep up to date with everything and get inside information on what's going on here. Um, you can do that at thankfulhomemaker.com backslash free dash library. But again, I'll link to that in the show notes too. So I would just love you to um, kind of mark your calendars then for July 10th through 14th for the Open Hearts and a Closed World Conference this year, 2023. So my friend, we are on episode number 140, and it's titled Threats to Biblical Friendship. And I do want to remember to mention, and I'll try to remember to do it again at the end, that I have a PDF handout you can grab for this episode in the show notes too. And I'm praying, I remember to put it in the show notes. If you get there first and I didn't, somebody shoot me an email on that, but um, I'm going to try to remember to do that. And I want us all to be reminded that we know that fostering true biblical friendship isn't easy. It takes work. Jesus told us in John 16, that we're going to have trouble in this world. And trouble does touch all of our lives and in various areas. But this includes our friendships too. We're going to be hurt. We're going to be the ones hurting others. Selfishness is a battle. Jealousy and envy raise their ugly heads. We have our fears and insecurities and failed expectations. Just think what the damage our tongues can do to one another or has done to one another even. Not appropriating the gospel. And these all come from hearts that are battling sin. So when these threats to our friendship with one another in Christ come up, it really shouldn't surprise us that we have these issues. But what we need to keep at the forefront of our minds is how we respond and deal with them when they do come up. So I want to walk us through some of these threats 
And this list I'm working with today, it's not exhaustive. There's many more threats than what I'm addressing here today. But these were just areas that stood out to me that have been a battle within some of my friendships over the years. And sadly, it many times, it's the sin that I'm battling with in my own heart. And I need to get my thinking and my attitudes and my actions lined up with God's word. Because not one of us is going to respond rightly at every moment. So conflict is inevitable. But what I want us to be reminded of as I'm walking through some of these threats is as we have these challenges with one another and as we learn to handle these conflicts and these challenges biblically, it's going to continue to mature us more in our walk with the Lord and it's going to strengthen our friendships as we go through stormy waters together and we arrive at a calm shore. One author stated it, it's not a friendship until you hit a rough spot and you have to work through it together. So I'm sure you're like me and you love friendships that don't have any difficulties and they just go smoothly, but it's just not going to be a reality. We will, as I stated at the beginning here, remind us of Jesus's words that we are going to have trouble. So I'm excited to dig into this one with you today. But because friends, as we hold to the truth of the word and we work through these difficulties God's way, our friendships will be strengthened and they're going to be refined. We're going to grow in our maturity in the Lord. And each time we work through these conflicts and threats to our friendships with the goal of honoring the Lord through the hard times. And I get it. We're not always going to do it perfectly, but that's our goal. We're going to strive and look towards that, right? In those moments, we're going to continue to grow more and more like Jesus. So if you're here with me today and you're in the midst of a challenging friendship, I pray that you're going to be encouraged and push forward to honor the Lord in whatever the difficulty is and offer your friend much grace. And if you're in a season of sunshine, I love to say I have a granddaughter I always think of. She's all sunshine and butterflies. But And if you're in a season of sunshine and butterflies with your friendships, then continue to serve and love her and think the best of her in all situations. A good friendship lives out Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, verses we all know. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This thought that I want to share here is, is key to hold as we begin to dig in. Our friendships with one another will only have a solid foundation and be able to flourish if they are built on the solid rock of Christ. Because Jesus is the only one who meets all our needs, who fulfills all of our deepest longings, and he's the only one who never leaves or forsakes us. In Christ, if we've repented of our sin and come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we are never alone. We always have a true friend in Jesus. Christ is faithful always. Us? Not so much so. But what I love most is that Jesus never leaves us where we are, but continues to show us our sin, where we need to change. He equips us to do it, and he's a gentle and loving and kind friend. Matthew 12, 20 is a favorite verse, and it's on my mind because last year I read um, Richard Sibb's book called The Bruised Reed, which I'm highly recommending because it's just such a sweet reminder of the loveliness and sweetness of our Savior. Matthew 12, 20 reads, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So our God, he doesn't turn a blind eye to our sin. He's going to show us where we need to make things right. And as the loving Father he is, he disciplines us with great 
love, and care. So in these next moments together, as we walk through these, this is a huge introduction, friends. Thanks for hanging with me. So in these next moments, as we walk through these threats, and maybe an area that you've not been thinking rightly, or you have a wrong sinful attitude, if the Lord is convicting you, I pray you won't shrug it aside, but you're going to deal with it, and you're going to make it right. Jesus and his righteousness has to be the foundation we build our friendships on. So our sinful nature is the first threat I want to address. And again, I said this at the beginning, these are not exhaustive threats. There's many more than this, but I'm just, again, dealing with the ones that I've dealt with in my own life. So again, our sinful nature is the first one I want to address. And this is at the foundation of all the other threats we're going to walk through together. But our sinful nature makes it difficult to foster and maintain close relationships at times. We can't lose focus of the gospel and its power in our lives as we discuss these threats. The gospel is the good news that we are made right with God. And because of that, we can now be in right relationships with others. In Christ, the power of sin in our lives has been broken, right? We can now live lives and choose not to sin because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Don't lose this truth, my friend. We are not left without hope. We have much hope and we are equipped. Our sin nature can cause us to become self-focused. We can want to isolate ourselves and everything can become me-focused. Jonathan Holmes in his book, The Company We Keep in Search of Biblical Friendship, he stated on our being self-focused that these questions can loom about in our minds. He, he threw some questions out there like, do they like me? Can I make them like me? Will they accept me? Will they love me? What will they give to me? What are they expecting from me? Will they hurt me? He stated that they aren't necessarily bad questions, but they are all self-focused. They're, they are focused on personal benefit, and they're not God-focused. He also stated, the ultimate purpose and design of friendship is to point to God and his glory. That truth is the most important purpose and design for our friendships there. So our sinful nature, it can make friendship all about us, about our needs and our wants and our expectations. We are seeking our own happiness and our own pleasure. In, in dealing with our sinful nature, my relationships aren't the enemy. My friend I'm struggling with because of my sinful nature isn't my enemy. My enemy is, as it states in Ephesians 6.12, are the spiritual forces of evil. 6.12, Ephesians 6.12 reads, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan doesn't want our friendships to thrive. He's going to do everything in his power to destroy and ruin God's reputation among unbelievers. We give him easy ammunition because every part of us has been affected by sin, our desires and our affections. And and this has a huge impact on how we interact with God and others. Sin blinds us. It it just does. And it, it, it makes us think we know better than God. And sin is what causes our pride and our selfishness to become a threat to our friendships. We're not left alone, though, in this threat to our friendships. Because of Jesus and his word, we can continue to be changed by his grace to be those friends who do battle with sin and continue to help us to be selfless friends to one another. The more we see of God, 
and his kindness and patience with us. The more we can be patient and kind toward our friends and we can begin to set aside our selfishness and our self-centeredness in our friendships. So growing in our love for God, that's going to grow us in our love for others. And the more we grasp the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf on the cross, the more that we're going to be able to kill our selfishness and our self-focused and our self-centeredness. self and our self-centeredness. It's a lot of tongue twisters there. Self is the issue here. And then we're going to seek the good of others above ourselves. So that's key, my friends. Our next one we're going to work through is gossip. I call it the power of the tongue, right? Let's talk about the power of our tongues. And the sin of gossip seems to be one we just can't get away from, sadly, even within the church. I even have a couple podcast episodes on gossip. I'll try to remember to link those two. I'm going to forget, but I'll try to remember. But if you go, if you are ever looking for something on my blog that I've said something, if you go to my blog and you're on your computer, I'm not sure where it is on mobile. It might be all the way at the bottom. But on your computer and on the left-hand side, um, if you just... Um, actually, it's my other left-hand side. It would be on the right-hand side. My husband gets kicked out of that. I have issues with left and right. On the right-hand side, if you scroll down, there's a little box, and it's it just says search. And if you put in the word gossip, you'd get all my posts that have gossip and you know regarding gossip about them. So they don't have gossip in them, Lord willing, but they're about gossip. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm gonna start this over here. So gossip, obviously is our next threat. And it's a big one um, because it, it has a, it causes a lot of issues in our friendships at times. We're either the ones gossiping or we're being gossiped about or we're listening to gossip. Gossip is a poisonous sin that many times it's just not dealt with. It just doesn't get addressed. Our words to and about one another are important just in general, but even more so now as we're talking about our friendships in Christ. We're to do good to one another. Gossip isn't doing good. It's doing evil. Luke 6.45 states, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Our words have power, and they can bring death or life to our friendships. And gossip is a serious sin, and we see it in the seriousness of it in Romans 1.29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Gossip got its own sentence there at the end of that verse. So gossip is defined from that particular verse there from Romans one twenty nine as a whisperer, a secret slanderer, a detractor, or a secret calumniator. I had to look that word up, <laughs> but it means to make false and defamatory statements about someone. It would, it would be to damage their good reputation. We find ourselves gossiping because we have a goal of making others look bad and building ourselves up. We may not think, we may not, how do I say that? We may not be thinking that way, but that's really usually at the root of it, okay? And it's ugly, so we don't want to be thinking that of ourselves, but many times it's true. So we need to own up to that sin and deal with it. Our words are so powerful and can be so destructive. James 3, 9 to 10 tells us how we can bless our Lord while we curse people from the same mouth. We basically have three options when we learn something about someone. We can talk about it. We can talk to them about it. Second, we can talk to others about it. Or third, we can keep it to ourselves and talk directly to God about it. Gossip really comes down to saying something behind someone's back that we should really say directly to them or not at all. 
This is not always easy, all right? I, I do want to address this because life is complicated. Sometimes there's situations where we need to seek wisdom from others who can give us godly wisdom and counsel, or maybe we're struggling in a friendship and we need some guidance and we need to guard, though, this is key, we need to guard that seeking counsel doesn't turn into gossip. So if we find ourselves in conflict with a friend, we can tend to want to talk to others about it. And many times, it's just to justify ourselves in this situation. And, and deep down here, I'm, I'm sadly, I'm speaking here from my own experience. I want, the, I want that person to affirm that I'm right and my friend is wrong. But when we're truly seeking godly, wise counsel in a situation that we need help with, we're going to want to protect the person we're sharing about and their reputation, their needs above my own. Again, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4 here. If we find ourselves talking to others more than we're talking to God about a person or a situation, it's probably gossip. We know how easy at times we can fall into gossip with prayer requests. There may be things that we know about others that we should only be talking to God about. We can tend to do this, to share these prayer requests with others sometimes to, maybe it's to make ourselves look good or to seem important or that we're in the know. It's a look, like a look what I know kind of an attitude there. This is a big one though. We need to come back to where is your heart? If it's a sin issue in their life and you, are you broken over their sin with a heart of love towards them? And are you desiring to see them restored? Or are you being self-righteous and angry. And in, in talking about our friends, it may be because there was a sin towards you and that can foster up those feelings of being self-righteous and angry. And then we're not dealing with it rightly. So it's, this is that moment to take that log out of your own eye, have such great love for the other person that in this situation, this is not always easy to do, but in that situation, your heart only desires for the Lord to be honored. And when you're at that place, then you're at a place to remove the speck from their eye. Episode 138, it was just last month. Um, it's a recent podcast from the Sermon on the Mount series. It was titled, Judge Not That You Not Be Judged. It covered this area of taking the log out of our own eyes. So take a listen if you haven't yet. Um, while I'm interrupting this episode again here, please know I'm going to put some helpful book resources on friendship in the show notes too, that you can take a peek at. So, all right, coming back at it. So we, we can all agree that gossip is sinful and it tears apart our relationship with others. It breaks down our trust. It's a destroyer of friendship. We know how much it hurts us to be gossiped about. So we need to keep that in mind if our thoughts and words are beginning to even start down the path, that path about our friend, really about anyone as we're talking about gossip here. So what should our words look like to and about one another? Like what, what should this look like? And I have a verse here, this Proverbs 31, 26 comes to mind here. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Okay, first off, that word when, it always catches me. When she opened her mouth, when. Meaning, she didn't always open her mouth, but when she did, she spoke with wisdom. 
So what types of wisdom should come out of our mouths to our friends? How can we be careful in choosing our words? We want to speak words that are in line with God's word and useful for others to hear. We want our words to build up and encourage and correct lovingly when correction is needed. We want to speak words of grace to their souls and remind them of the goodness of our Savior. In Christ, our hearts have been changed, so this alone should change our speech to one another. We're, I, again, I say this all the time, and I, I shouldn't have to, but you kind of get it. I'm, I'm never talking about perfection here because we're going to have sinful bumps along the way. But we need to, again, we know what we need to do. We need to make it right. We need to repent, make things right with the Lord and our friend. And when we do, and keep pursuing and loving them as the Lord continues to love and pursue us. Our words to one another should be a reflection that we are God's children. I'm going to, these six questions I've written in my Bible, I'm going to put these in the show notes, but I have these six questions in my Bible. They've been super helpful to me over the years, and they may be a help to you too, to be prayerful and slow to speak. There, and these are helpful questions, not just in our friendships, but really in our marriages and with our children and, and really truly in any of our relationships. So number one is, is this the time to say this? Number two is, am I the person to say this? Number three, is it necessary? Number four, is it true? Number five, is it kind? And number six, do I need to say this? Again, those will be in the show notes. So so often in our friendships, we have to remember we don't need to address everything that troubles or annoys us. We need to learn when to let it go and look over an offense. Sometimes we forget that we trouble and we annoy others and we don't mean to necessarily, right? And there's so often others totally look over many of our offenses. We are given grace much more than we even realize. Also in our friendships, we need to be on guard when we need to protect someone's reputation. Because what if we hear someone gossiping about our friend? We may need to speak up and take a stand for them. We, we need to work hard in our friendships with one another not to listen or respond to gossip or not be the ones gossiping. If we are gossiped about and we find out about it and it needs to be addressed, do it biblically as laid out for us in Matthew 18. And just a few final thoughts here on gossip. So if we're in Christ, we have everything we need to stop this sinful threat to our friendships. We can replace gossip and we don't need to fall into this sin. God in his goodness and mercy gives us his word and the work of his spirit within us to speak words that bless and do not curse. Our tongues are a weapon and they can destroy a friendship or build it up. As I say that, our tongues are a weapon. They can destroy a marriage or build it up, right? Or a relationship with our children. Put in those blanks, whatever whatever relationship with your parent, whatever that may be. Um, maybe with your friends, you need to give them space to talk if you're always talking. Silence is good too because sometimes, you know, even for me, I can be a slow processor of things so I don't always have a response right away. And I have friends who are like that and it's, learning to just wait and give them time to speak, um, especially if you're someone who has a lot of words. Um, that's just a good thing to, to think about. Look for ways to build her up. Look for the good in her. Tell her about it. Encourage her. It's really not fun to be around people who only see the bad in others or they're like an, like an Eeyore. We all enjoy being around people who are joyful and have good things to share about others. If you have an issue to, to deal with, Deal directly with your friend. Always taking the log out of your own eye first. Again, I'm going to rep- recommend that episode 138 here again um, from the Sermon on the Mount series called Judge Not That You Not Be Judged. 
And, and don't share whatever the issue is with others. Deal directly with your friend. That avoids so many issues, so many issues. So, so far, I've been addressing it towards our friendships. I've threw a little nuggets in there, but really this episode, it does pertain to those within our own homes with our husband and children and other family members. Amy Carmichael's words are a super helpful reminder here. I love this. She says, never about, always to. Imagine how that would solve so many of our issues. So when you're speaking with your friends, share what the Lord's doing in your life. Ask her what the Lord is doing in her life. We need to be mindful to speak words that benefit others because we can't take our words back once they've left our mouths, right? James reminds us our tongue is like a fire that can set a forest ablaze. We need to be careful with our words to one another. Another threat to biblical friendship, and I'm covering it in a few areas, but it's our fears, our insecurities, and our expectations. So how often do we let what we're thinking determine our emotions and determine our truth? We so often can allow our thoughts to run rampant instead of taking them captive. So when we find ourselves insecure or fearful, or we have the need to be in control, or we have a craving to be approved by others, or people pleasers, or in competition with others, or controlled by their opinions of us, and I could keep going on and on here. Um, It's really easy to do this when you speak from your own life. (laughs) These all fall under what we would call biblically the fear of man. These are various areas we all struggle with. We may favor some more than others, depending on our nature and our makeup, but we will always be insecure when we place our faith and hope in a belief or someone or something that can be taken away from us. We will only find security and respond rightly to others and not sinfully when we place our faith and hope in something or someone that can't be taken away. The only two things in our lives as believers that can't be taken away from us is the living word, Jesus Christ, and the written word, the Bible. And the only way we're going to flourish in our relationships and be a Christ-like example and love others well is when the only opinion that matters to us of who we are is the Lord's opinion. I need to repeat that for myself again and again, because the only way we're going to flourish in our relationships and be a Christ-like example and love others well is when the only opinion that matters to us of who we are is the Lord's. We need to remember that. In our insecurity, we find questions going through our minds that arise out of fear in regards to our relationship. And some of these we talked about at the beginning, but they're also questions like, again, will they hurt me or will they like me or will they reject me? And the more and more we find ourselves secure in who the Lord says we are, the less likely we're going to be controlled by the thoughts or even the perceived thoughts of others. We do a lot of messing up there with our minds and what we think sometimes. We have the choice as to what will influence our thoughts. It needs to be more than just an outward action. And we need to get to the heart of the issue or to its root. It's part of the process of sanctification in our lives because the more and more we are able to truly see these sins of the heart, the more we're going to be able by the Spirit's power at work in us and we're going to be able to tear them down. I'm, ref- I'm thinking there, James chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. All the scripture references I put in the show notes too, if there's something you're looking for. But I always try to remember to give thanks to the Lord when my sin is revealed because now I can work with Him to be killing it. We should be grateful that God gives us the grace to see our sin because then we can do something about it. And the sin we're dealing with here as we're talking is unbelief. So 
we're not fully trusting God. So I want you to hear this. When I say unbelief, it doesn't mean you're an unbeliever. It just means you're not believing God. You're not fully trusting him. Mark 9, 24 comes to mind there, right? Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. One aspect of fear of man we need to understand is it doesn't mean that we're controlled by what everyone thinks of us. And you may find yourself being a people pleaser to one friend, and you may find yourself putting expectations on another friend that you wouldn't put on anybody else. You may crave approval from from one friend, and you may have the fear of being rejected by another. You, things like you, things rolling in your head. <laughs> These the things rolling in my head. Why did I say that? Does she even like me? Does she prefer being with another friend over me? Am I going to be hurt in this relationship? Will I be loved and accepted? On the other side, you may have friends you have none of these issues with at all. What a delight that is, right? But but these can become idols in our lives if our friends aren't meeting our relationship needs the way we think they should. The problem is, again, we're not seeing God rightly. These problems aren't primarily about the other people in our lives, but that we're not seeing and thinking rightly about God. We need to address the heart sin issue here in these relationships, whether it's jealousy or envy or bitterness or acceptance, whatever it is, and put those off and put on. I'm going to read us a longer passage here from Ephesians chapter 4 on this. So I'm reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 32. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you." Change is going to begin to happen when we can seek, with the Lord's help, to put off the sinful attitudes and thinking in our hearts and minds and put on ones that are true and right and honoring to the Lord. True freedom is only going to be found when we come to a place, as Rick Thomas stated it, that the only opinion in the world that should control us is God's opinion. So if, if you're putting expectations on your friends or continually living to seek their approval or in competition with them... Um, or becoming so dependent on them, or whatever the fear and insecurity may be, you're not going to be a very good friend. You're going to tire them out. I want to give one more Rick Thomas quote here. He said, if you need people, you will suck them dry, and your relationships will always be strained or fractured. If you do not need people, you will be released to love and serve them the way Jesus did. 
Jesus was fully controlled by what God thought of him and not others. And I do understand that we're never going to get this perfectly while on this earth, but we must be striving to be those people who God's opinion matters the most. And we are depending on the opinions of others or looking to others to meet our needs. Because until we get to this place, we're not going to be able to love and serve people in complete freedom and sacrificially. This, my dear friend, is the path to spiritual maturity. We know what God thinks of us as we look at Jesus and we see clearly what he did for us on the cross by being our sin bearer and taking our sin upon himself so we could live in freedom with him forever and all eternity. Jesus doesn't want us to live in bondage and control of what others think of us. We can look to him and know that God loves us, is always satisfied with us, and his opinion towards us never changes no matter what we think or say or do. I want to bring our hearts to the reminder of another powerful passage in scripture to be reminded of, and it's from Romans 8, and I'm going to read from verses 31 to 39 here. What then shall what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who was to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Verses we all know and love coming up here. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we're seeking the opinions of others, We're worshiping the opinions of others, which causes us to break the first commandment. You shall have no other gods beside me. Rest in Jesus and what he's done for you and how he sees you and that you are truly, truly, fully free in Christ. When Jesus said it is finished, it is finished. And I do pray that we're going to begin to see these sinful areas in our lives and our relationships with others and ask the Lord to help us put off this sinful thinking and put on right and godly thinking and that we would truly be fully satisfied in Christ alone and we would take every captive thought, every thought captive to Christ. A good book that I really like to recommend in understanding who we are in Christ, and it's a short, but it's a powerful read by Jerry Bridges. It's called Who Am I? It's be, it would be a really good one to go through with a friend. But before I move to this next area, I just want to share a couple thoughts here. I know this is a long episode, so thank you for sticking with me here. But there's just a lot to this one, and there could have been a lot more. But So we all have the same need of a Savior, and in Christ, we are all equal. We need to see one another as fellow members of the same family. We have the same Father. We're not in competition with one another. And the only one who will meet all the desires of our hearts is Jesus. These are just good truths we need to remind ourselves of. Each of us is gifted uniquely to participate in the body the way the Lord has ordained it for us. Our friends are all gifted differently and their gifts can be a sweet blessing to us. Maybe your friend is gifted in a way to help you in the ministry you're in charge of. Use her gifts and don't feel threatened that she's gifted differently. Or maybe she's even gifted better than you in certain areas. Give praise to God for that. Maybe she has strengths in areas like homeschooling or homekeeping or Bible study or whatever that may be 
that you can glean from her. Maybe she's great at managing her time. Don't be afraid to seek her out. Our pride gets in the way too often, and we can see asking for help or guidance as weakness when this is precisely where we need to be to mature in our relationship with the Lord and others. Don't let your pride get in the way. So our next area we're going to talk about is self-centeredness. We're kind of getting back to this self again, but a strong Christian friendship is one where both parties are seeking the good of the other. And a huge threat to biblical friendship is being preoccupied with self. It can be really, really easy to fall into a lazy pattern of letting others seek us and pursue us and meet our needs instead of us being the ones initiating and serving and meeting the needs of the other or, or, and again, I think of that Philippians 2, 3 through 4 here again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So if we as believers, if we were living this out in the power of the Spirit, imagine the difference that this would make in all our relationships. We too often can get caught up in self and look more at what others are doing for us instead of what we can or should be doing for others. And God's word reminds us to love and serve and bless others. Let others love and serve and bless you too, but we need to love and serve and bless others. We can easily let convenience have its priority and not take the time needed to foster a deep friendship. It's not always going to be convenient or easy, and it's going to be a continual dying of self. And I'm preaching to myself around this one. Matthew 20, 28 states, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Proverbs eleven twenty five, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The simple statement we've all heard before, either from our parents, or maybe we said this to our own kiddos, we don't wait for that perfect friend to come around, be that friend to someone. The purpose of pursuing biblical friendship is to honor God and others. And when we do this, we find that we are truly blessed. Okay, this next area is not thinking the best of others. Have you ever determined that you know exactly why someone did or said what they did? Have you ever had someone judge your motives and you know that they were nowhere close as to why you did or said what you did? One example from God's word that comes to my mind here is when Hannah is praying in the temple in 1 Samuel chapter 1, it's verses 9 through 28, and Eli thinks she's drunk. The text says in verse 13 there, it says, Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Okay, Eli was not thinking the best. He determined that he knew what was going on in her heart. Here was a godly woman pouring out her heart to the Lord in prayer and she was being taken for a drunk. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 helps us to understand how God desires us to think the best of others. It says, best of others. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So love hopes the best, it believes the best, and doesn't presume the worst. It isn't suspicious of others' motives. Vine's Dictionary defines believes all things as, it, it doesn't mean that it accepts as true all that is stated. Love is never taken in thus. It is, however, ready to impute the best motives even to one whose act is unkind or detrimental. In bearing with evil conduct, it seeks to avoid undue suspicion. Where there is any element of doubt as to the real intention, love decides to regard it as good and honest. So love does to others what we would desire others to do to us. 
I know I don't, and I'm sure you don't appreciate when someone questions our motives or when motives are attributed to us that aren't there. We can too often read into our friend's motives. If my bent is to think negative thoughts, I can easily think she's feeling this way or that way, and it may not be the case at all. I've been guilty of jumping to conclusions only to realize that I completely misjudged the situation. Slow to speak would have came in really good there, right? So determining we know the motives can happen with those people we are really close with. We, we think we know them so well and the reasons behind their actions, but we need to think the best of our friends and love them and be reminded their desire most likely is not to hurt us. Luke 6.31 says, And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So love always thinks the best. It never presumes the worst. And our flesh... We're ready to think the worst, but love, as the verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 7 reminds us, does the opposite and believes the best. It's a love that has faith in God, that he's going to work all things out together according to his divine plans. And this love, it gives the benefit of the doubt. It seeks to see people at their best and not at their worst. Thinking the best, it's not being gullible, okay? If there's a sin that needs to be addressed, then love addresses it with grace and truth. And a great way to think about it is someone is innocent until proven guilty. We don't know all the details. We can't see into the heart of another person. Our pride, though, would determine, would instead determine that we know best and we know all. So on the motives of others, let's believe well of them unless it's evident that that is not the case. And even so, we need to deal with truth in a godly and a right manner, right? And as we do this, we're trusting the Lord and we're loving our friend well. Okay, our last threat here to cover is that we don't know how to appropriate the gospel. We should all desire friendships where we can be transparent with one another. We all still struggle with sin, even though we are redeemed children of our Father in heaven. There is not one of us in this life who has it all together. We are all messy. We should be able to have friendships where we can let our guard down and know that we will still be loved and accepted amid our flaws and issues and messiness. There's no perfect friend. You and I are not perfect friends. When we bring it back to the gospel, it allows us to be who we are and not put a mask on. When we look at the gospel, we're reminded we are all weak and needy, every single one of us. When we realize we're all in the same boat here, we can freely freely admit our weaknesses and failures to one another and live in authentic community. Not to just sit around and sulk in our sin, but to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And this is another way too, to, to better know how to pray for one another, how to encourage one another, how to love one another, no matter the difficulties or challenges they're dealing with. We have been greatly loved and forgiven by Jesus, and now we can greatly love and forgive others. So I'm winding down here. So some closing thoughts here, my dear friend, is really we've walked through various threats to biblical friendship in this time. And as I stated, as I said when we stated, it's not an exhaustive list, but I really hope to touch on common issues to most of us. I really just want to encourage us to lead lead and walk lives that are godly and in, in our friendships. Because in our friendships, we and we need to do this, as I'm saying that with every part of our lives as believers, we need to keep our eyes on eternity. Because one day when we, I love this part, one day when we're in heaven, I love thinking this, We're going to be able to worship alongside of our dearest friends in Christ without any of the threats we talked about today and all the others that we didn't talk about. Ponder that thought just for a moment. No more sin or hurtful words or misunderstanding or jealousy or envy or comparison. You're going to have perfect love for your friend and death will no longer separate us. 
So I pray today that your friendships remind you to look to the gospel and what's to come. And because of the gospel, we can have the sweetest friendships here on earth today as we await our heavenly homecoming. We don't have to wait until heaven. Treasure the gift of your friends. See your friendships, what they truly are. They are a gift from the Lord. Don't stop pursuing your friends. Don't stop forgiving. Don't stop putting time and energy into your friendships. Don't stop loving them. It's worth your time to do so and to keep loving and serving them. If you're in Christ, you have the greatest friend ever. It's a relationship that's fully secure because if you have trusted in Christ, everything fully depends on his perfect sacrifice on the cross and not on anything that you have done. My one plea today is if you have not come to know and be known by Jesus, you can do so right now by repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. I can assure you, amid all the friends we will have in this lifetime, there's no one like Jesus. I praise God for the gift of Jesus and the reminder that even the best of our earthly relationships are not going to bring us complete fulfillment. Jesus Christ is the only one who can fully satisfy our hearts because Jesus truly is enough always. I'm so grateful for your time today, my friend. It was a long one. I'm glad to sit here with you today and be in your, your either your earbuds or your headphones or just walking around or in your car, whatever that might be. But again, the full show notes, they're at the blog at thankfulhomemaker.com. And there will also be that PDF download there of the notes from this episode. I do... Um, want to encourage you again to check out my friend Jackie's shop, shopbloomfieldcottage.com. Use the code THANKFUL20 for 20% off your order. All that will be linked in the show notes. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love to ask you, would you consider partnering with me and becoming a supporter of the podcast? There's many ways to do this. You can make a one-time donation and just buy me a cup of coffee, or you can become a monthly supporter and you get access to more content that's not out there in the public, or you can even share more about your brand or product with th Thankful Homemaker listeners and readers by sponsoring a podcast episode or a monthly newsletter. And you can find out more details at thankfulhomemaker.com backslash support. I am super grateful for you, my friend, and thank you so much for being here. And I do pray you have a very blessed week. Mm -hmm.